a Pearson Harnish, but a huge third down conversion. You got the game on? Yep. On the move. Down to the 24-yard line of St. Francis. Who's winning? He won't say the score. Laid up and waited for the pass. Short drop Come out on, of the who's winning? Rifles towards the right corner, complete to Vander Cooey, who steps across the plane. Ah, say the damn score. You're listening to the original Say the Damn Score podcast, part of the Say the Damn Score podcast network. Here's your host, Logan Anderson. Welcome to episode 133 of the Say the Damn Score podcast. As you just heard the big voice guy say, I'm Logan Anderson, a freelance sportscaster in the Twin Cities metro area. As always, this podcast is dedicated to sportscasting and sharing stories and ways to improve in the business by talking to sportscasters from all over the country and beyond. If you're a fan of the show, please do me one favor and just tell one friend about it. If you're a super fan of the show... Tell more than one, but I really appreciate everyone who listens, and if we can help spread the word, that would be fantastic. Wow, have things changed since the last time uh, we had a little chat. Last time there was not much going on as high school sports were paused in Minnesota, which, as if you pay any attention to this show, you know high school sports are my bread and butter. It's what I build my business around. And they started back up on the 14th. And as much as I tried to prepare in advance, it was like going from zero to 100 miles per hour overnight. Our very first night of contests had five games that were all going simultaneously. We have three and a half sets of gear. So that half one is a substitute teacher laptop that we have rigged to hook into a huddle camera that's in the rafters of one of the gyms and we can broadcast that way but uh, finding all the people and all the equipment we ended up renting an extra set of gear from uh, a local small college university of northwestern in st paul shout out to them and we got through it and we really have not missed a beat since then so uh, it's been nice to be back at it i am now busier probably than i have ever been in my life Uh, trying to not only prepare for my own large load of broadcasts, but also making sure logistically that everybody has the equipment that they need to succeed uh, for the people who are working for me at other locations and making sure that we have people at the other locations. It has been a challenge, but it has been fun. I certainly prefer it to the alternative of not having anything going on. I want to take this moment and thank a couple of the people Uh, Young broadcasters who have helped me out in a huge way, in some cases all year, uh, since the fall season has started. And three local sportscasters in particular have just been absolutely vital for me. As Kirsten Kroll, who's now hosts a streaming show with the Minnesota Wild and does some in-arena announcing for them. She'll probably outgrow me pretty soon, but she has... Uh, done a fantastic job of filling in in a whole bunch of areas outside of her comfort zone. Also, Matt Dean, who was helping me out a little bit in the fall, but now has taken on the main role of one of my uh, two high schools that we deal with, and he is the main voice of the Shock P Sabres and does a fantastic job. And with so many games going on, basically, we've had another opening for almost 
a full slate of games for another broadcaster going back and forth between my two high schools uh, where no one else can be. And Mitch Widmeyer, who reached out after seeing an SDAA ad, has been doing a bunch of games for me, doing a great job, and hopefully we'll have more for him in the future as this little business starts to grow and expand. Also, thanks to Jason Doro, who is now mostly relocated to Washington, but did a whole bunch of games for me in the fall and helped me get through that time covering games when I had so much going on in my personal life. I was barely able to pay attention at times to my business, and he was able to, in large part, get me through uh, those broadcasts when they needed to be done the most. But that's enough about me for today. And now it's time to talk about the podcast. As we have a good one for you today, uh, I was able to visit with J.J. Duke and Joe Vasile. They are the hosts of the Views from the Booth podcast and also freelance college sportscasters on the East Coast. J.J. does stuff for a whole bunch of different colleges, Fairfield, Ryder, Yale, among others. And Joe is the women's basketball voice for Bucknell University. Joe also works for the Scranton-Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders, and J.J., while not currently attached with a minor league team, has also in the past been a minor league baseball broadcaster. And because that is just not my cup of tea, uh, the minor league baseball path, I wanted to talk to a couple people who knew about that side of the business to just dive into all of the changes that have happened while I was on my little hiatus for the most part in the summer uh, with the cuts to minor league baseball and beyond. I guess, obviously, they're cutting down the number of teams. There used to be, I think, 162 affiliated teams. That's down to 120. So that's uh, 42 jobs that are no longer there. Uh, Most of them probably had number one, two, potentially three broadcasters. So exponentially, that builds. Just being in that world, because that's never been a path that I've gone down, what does that mean? What type of shockwaves is that sending uh, to the people involved? And we'll let uh, JJ talk first, just so everyone knows whose voice is which. The next guy will be Joe, and we'll go from there. All right. Well, first off, thanks so much for having us. Uh, Great to be on another show. Ironically enough, uh, uh, we do a broadcasting podcast, and now we're going to be talking about a broadcasting podcast on a broadcasting podcast. So if you just want to wheel it all together, I think we've finally hit full circle and peak entertainment. But, um, yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring up what minor league baseball is going into. And Joe is a bit more present in terms of the here and now, obviously working with Scranton. I had the opportunities of working both in indie ball um, in the, uh, the Atlantic League. Joe's also been in there as well uh, doing short season with Hudson Valley, who's now actually been promoted basically to fourth season. The landscape, if we're talking about broadcasters first, Logan, it's going to be interesting. You talk about jobs lost or jobs maybe that are going to be gone by the wayside. It's tough. I mean, we all know how much of a grind it is just to get an opportunity, whether it's someone that's starting out. Um, and you'll obviously get a lot of that by listening to our podcast. Someone that just has to scratch and claw their way to get to a number two or an intern that may be a production person and will occasionally host a pre and a post game show to eventually get to a number one 
and then to move up the ranks, you know, all of our goals at the end of the day is to be as high as we can be. But yeah, it's tough when all of a sudden, not only the jobs are gone, but the fact that maybe like a hometown connection, like you grow up uh, wanting to be the voice of your hometown team or the close enough to your hometown team. You don't even have that anymore. So that's tough. With that being said, though, we talk about a lot of those organizations that were dropped out of minor league baseball. Now a lot of those are going to be either summer collegiate or independent league teams that have more of a connection to major league baseball than they ever have had before, certainly more than when Joe and I was there. So I think if you want to go down that route, that's where it's actually going to get fascinating where you're going to have some really talented people that may have not had the exposure that they had just kind of lost in the round of indie ball. But now all of a sudden you're going to be kind of on the radar. Yeah. And, and this is Joe speaking uh, for, for anyone who, who hadn't done the math, but uh, kind of building along, you know, what JJ said and Logan, you mentioned having Sean Aronson on here, you know, he was the broadcaster for the St. Paul saints for, I know over a decade, I think, uh, if not even longer than that. Uh, they just went from being an independent team to being the AAA affiliate of the Minnesota Twins. So in all of this shuffle, there are certainly some teams and some people out there that win. Um, and I think St. Paul is uh, a good example of a team that is going to be in a much better situation now because instead of playing a 100-game season, they're playing 140. They've got the Twins connection right there in the Twin Cities, uh, and I think that's going to be a good thing for them. Uh, but generally speaking across the entire industry, uh, you're absolutely right in that this did send a lot of uh, shock. I, I think when the plan was first unveiled last October in 2019, uh, there was a lot of belief that it probably wouldn't happen and it wouldn't come to fruition. Um but then COVID happened, and that more or less sealed the fate for a lot of these teams. Um, we're missing an entire season of being able to not only play games, but welcome people into the ballpark, and uh, and all of that really put a lot of um, a lot of teams in a in a bad financial situation uh, to the point where it became that much harder to fight against contraction. Um, that all being said, and of course, losing those teams is big, especially when a lot of those organizations prided themselves on their affiliation. And a lot of the communities prided themselves on having a team that was uh, affiliated. Um, take the Trenton Thunder in New Jersey, for example. My home state, uh, Trenton, was the, the first place where uh, – I had an opportunity to get on air while I was still a college student doing some board op stuff and scoreboard updates um, on the post game show. And they had really prided themselves on being the Yankees double A affiliate. And now they're not an affiliated team. They're part of the um, what's being called the MLB draft league, which is essentially a, a summer collegiate league for draft eligible players. And that's going to be a really good league. I, I see that as being a really good thing. I think the level of baseball and the level of competition among the teams in that league is going to be very high. Um, but that being said, it's not being a double A team, um, which is a loss for that community and, and losing affiliations will be a loss for 
for the communities like Frederick, Maryland, uh, another team that's going to be in that league that had been a full season affiliated to the Baltimore Orioles before. Um, the Appalachian League turning into a summer collegiate league, I don't think changes the jobs landscape as drastically as it w- does in some other places. Um, and, and this is part of me trying to look at it from a half gla- uh, glass half full um, mindset of there are still going to be opportunities to get your foot in the door in a lot of these teams that are no longer affiliated. It's just going to be at a different level. Um, and of course there are some teams like the Staten Island Yankees, for example, that decided, you know what, we don't want to continue under this new thing. We're just going to pack up shop and and close our doors, um, which is obviously not good for anyone that those are your concrete lost jobs. Um, but also I look at that as an opportunity that if someone wants to come along and start an independent team franchise there or start a franchise there in a summer collegiate league, be it the, the draft league or another, they've got a good ballpark and a good situation to come right into. Um, so I, I think in a lot of these communities, there will still be opportunity. There will still be baseball just in a different um, format. And of course, this is the biggest change to happen to minor league baseball since 1963. So um, it's going to take some getting used to for sure. And, uh, and it, it also hopefully will be a good thing for the players uh, in the long term. Uh, at least that's what is being uh, given as the reason for it. And I, I just, I hope that that's what ends up happening. How important is the affiliation for the success of a team because for broadcasters, they're probably going to exist. I mean, they could be cut in an independent league situation, those positions, but probably they're going to maintain and continue to exist for those independent ball teams. But is it going to make it harder for the teams themselves to succeed? Uh, not being affiliated anymore. What are your thoughts there? So Logan, it's actually interesting. You bring that up because there's another team that's fairly close to me, um, New Britain, that formerly was uh, the affiliate for the Rockies, for the Twins, I think Boston actually for a little bit in there as yeah, well. Um, so they were they were set. They had minor league operations going for 30-some-odd years, a couple affiliate changes. Then all of a sudden, Hartford comes in in AA, uh, basically like running New Britain out of the shop. People didn't have, I don't want to say like any ties to that when they turned to independent attendance bottomed out. I think it only took a couple of years for them to realize that just kind of the business structure because independent, you have to pay the players unlike affiliated ball. Um, it just wasn't going to work. So then they changed it to summer college and actually the league that they played in uh, called the futures league, which is if you kind of want to rank in New England, mid-Atlantic areas, kind of the tiers of summer college baseball, you obviously have the Cape Cod League. Everybody knows that league. That is still, even with the draft league coming in, the Appalachian League is going to be summer college. That's always going to be one of, if not the top, summer college circuit. Then you kind of go down the levels a little bit, and you see the talent that's there. The Futures League is kind of like a third tier. Not to say it's bad baseball. It's good baseball. There's so many good college players out there. 
that all you have to do is just go roll up to a local university and you're going to find some really good players in there. That league that New Britain in was the only league in New England that actually played a full season this year and allowed fans up to a certain capacity and New Britain stadium seats over 6,000 people. So they were allowed close to 2000. They were drawing good crowds. And the reason why is because local college kids were coming for their families, you know, what? COVID era rates and infection rates were low at that time. So we still have a chance to at least get out and enjoy a night out. That's what people kind of connect to is that hometown feeling. So if we're talking about, the loss of affiliated ball going to indie ball. It's going to change for some markets, I feel. Joe, you, you know, you can add or take away from that. But for some that are dropping actually down to the summer college level, it actually opens up a great opportunity for players that grew up 20 miles away from the stadium to play again in front of their families on a night-in, night-out basis. And all of a sudden, those franchises that weren't paying players at the affiliated level because the major league organization takes care of that, you don't have to for the summer college. You can make tickets very reasonable, food very reasonable, and all of a sudden your attendance is maybe equaling, if not maybe slightly surpassing what you had at the affiliated level. Yeah, I I think it just depends um, on who you ask, on what market you're in, and, and what your approach is. You look at the Savannah Bananas as the example of that down in the Coastal Plain League. They took over after the Savannah Sandats, a full-season minor league team, left Grayson Stadium. And they have sold out, I think, for the last four seasons. Um, now, granted, they're playing far fewer games, but also the staff down there does an excellent job at making their games an event that people want to go to. Uh, and, and the same thing for the Madison Mallards up in Wisconsin. They're a summer collegiate team that draws 6,000 a night. Um the, the, those are the, you know, um, the outliers of the situation. Most don't even come close to that. But it shows that you can succeed and have a good operation at that level and, and that you can make the economics of the situation work, um, you know, if you're willing to to try some things to, to really engage your fans and the community to want to come out and support your team. Um, that said... The first question you always get if you're with a summer collegiate team, if you're with an independent team, um, or I guess now they're not called that, they're called, uh, you know, partner league teams, is, oh, who's your, who are you guys affiliated with? That's always the first question you'll get. Um, and it always sounds a lot better to be able to say, well, we're the Red Sox double A team, as opposed to having to explain well, you see, we're not really affiliated, but don't worry. The, you know, the players are still good. You know, we're not taking guys who are working in the factory and just throwing them on the field at night. They're professionals, and this is their job. It's just a lot easier to be able to, to sell it that way, and it lends it a little extra credibility. Um, and, and I think where J.J. brings up the New Britain example is a good one. Their attendance went down even when Hartford wasn't allowed to even play for a whole season because their stadium wasn't ready. And they had to be on the road all year. Attendance in New Britain had dropped, I think, like 33% from the year before. And I think a lot of that had to do with the loss of the affiliation um, and the lack of identity that uh, some of the fans there felt with the new franchise. A lot of people who are getting their start in the 
traditionally in the lower levels of the minor leagues, the high A, low A, uh, paid positions, but obviously nobody's getting rich off of them, but you're at least getting something. A lot of the collegiate leagues are well known for bringing in interns. They'll maybe give you a place to stay, but you're not going to make any money. It's Is that going to change the entry level for a lot of broadcasters trying to get into the business? Are more of them now going to have to take deals like that just to get that foot in the door with less, less paid work, I would guess? I sure hope not. Um, that's probably what's going to happen, though, with a, a lot of the teams. It's you're going to see, yeah, uh, situations where maybe they don't pay as much or even at all, um, which is obviously very unfortunate, and that's not good for the business. And of course, it makes it that much harder to break into affiliated baseball because now there are that many fewer teams uh, that are around. That said, I mean, I'm a big proponent of go where you have to go to get the reps you need um, and don't necessarily worry about the level. Like, yeah, I'm in AAA with Scranton Wilkesbury, but you know what? If the right A-Bowl job came around, God, do I hope my bosses are not listening to this. I, I would seriously consider taking it if it was the right job. Um, because, again, I the level is nice i think it's more of an ego thing though for us as broadcasters than it is necessarily uh going to help us take that next step i mean if you can get quality reps um in doing 140 games all nine innings in uh in an independent league or in low a ball do it um rather than a double a Number two, where you're going to be on air for the middle three innings for 70 games a year, or maybe even less now, because they're talking about changing the number of games that double A and single A plays to be less and adding a few more on a triple A. So that's a whole nitty gritty that's not to be discussed now, but um, it it also kind of changes the calculus of the situation. Uh, Just go where you're going to get the reps if it's summer ball uh, and you can afford it. I, I mean, who can, but, um, you know, hopefully that doesn't become the norm and that some of these, uh, teams will, um, begin to pay interns, uh, for the work that they do and realize that unpaid internships are, uh, not always the best way to conduct business. Yeah. I mean, you know, we could spend hours talking about, just kind of dissecting what exactly would be going into those types of positions and really how much you, you actually losing by going for a summer to working as, you know, working summer collegiate, working independent ball, low A, so on and so forth. But uh, uh, another thing to add on to that, Joe and I have talked about this in our show is not only are we talking about if we're working on just specifically broadcasters and opportunities, it's not just, the games that you're calling for baseball, it's kind of the networking that you have in and amongst that area. Because we talk about the community a couple of minutes ago, you know, every minor league, every summer collegiate, every independent team is 20 minutes, 15 minutes away from the nearest high school, the nearest college. All of a sudden, you know, and a lot of those people as well probably work in some capacity with that baseball team or with other minor league sports for that matter. 
you know, networking is always something that's super important. So, you know, you talk to the scorekeeper that may be the sports information director at a D3 school. You do your job, you do it well, that person realizes it. All of a sudden, hey, once the season's over, and if you're hanging around that area or maybe establishing ties for down the road, that might lead to a gig for the winter months because obviously, I mean, we don't actually know said the amount of games that we're going to see in minor league baseball, but traditionally that would go early to mid-April through Labor Day. Well, that still means you have another six months of games that you can do, which quite frankly is the bulk of sports that we see in America happens between the fall and the spring. So, yeah, we definitely have seen the values in taking those risks if you will, by taking those unpaid internships or those college credit internships that lead to doing games as opposed to being a number two somewhere and getting a little bit of time on the mic or in front of the camera if you're hosting pre- and post-game shows. It is, it's all figuring out what works best for you. And if those opportunities are there for you, you got to go and take it because they can ultimately lead to bigger and better things. Could this improve the scenario for Somebody like Joe, who's already in the minor leagues. There's now less teams in theory. That could mean more resources. I know a lot of this is so they can pay players more. Has any of that trickled down to broadcasters, or has that stayed pretty much stationary? Um, Honestly, I don't know because we haven't seen how it necessarily plays out yet. Uh, I mean, teams don't. We don't have our schedules uh, as we're recording this in early January. We don't have our schedules for the 2021 yet. Um, so teams don't have tickets to sell because they don't know how many games or when those games are going to be. They can't book outings. They can't really do much of anything until we know what the schedules are. Um, and so until that happens, you haven't seen really any movement on the minor league broadcasting job front. Um, so I think generally things, at least for 2021 are staying the same. Um, I would guess that things are going to be relatively flatlined. Um, does it affect it moving forward? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't know because obviously we're all paid by our individual teams. So will there be some teams that make out better? Under this arrangement, sure. I, I think, um, you know, we talked about St. Paul. They, they already did really well, I'm sure. You know, I, I don't want to get into that. But, you know, the Somerset Patriots are another team moving from independent ball to affiliated. And that might mean that, all right, they're able to pay a little bit more to their front office staff because, well, they should get a nice bump. They're in North Jersey. They're a Yankees affiliate. They should see more attendance. And so the teams can be making more money. So, the front office staff should be able to be uh, making more money in that situation. And the same with the Sugarland Skeeters who are now moving from independent ball to, uh, to be the Houston Astros AAA affiliate. Um, they should see a nice bump in attendance and therefore have more money to pay more staff and, uh, and better for their staff. I say that not knowing what they were doing before. So I'm not, I'm not trying to imply that, you know, they, they were, uh, they were cheaping anybody out before. Um, it's just, I think it's going to be a bigger pie to go around for, for those teams. There are going to be other teams that probably struggle a little bit, um, under the new arrangement, whether it's because, you know, 
they used to play 140 games and now they're only going to play 132. So they lose those, uh, you know, four home games a year. Uh, you know, so that's, that's lost revenue. Um, it, it's hard to say exactly. Um, hopefully it doesn't impact anyone negatively and only helps to make the pie bigger. Um, at least that's generally, uh, again, glass half full looking at it. Uh, hopefully what ends up happening. Yeah, I mean, since I've been out of the minor league circuit for a couple of years, I can't really add too, too much to it. But the one thing that I'll be curious if Joe's talking about teams that had to or may have to lose a couple of games because of schedule changes. Well, how about the short season teams or the teams that were at a lower level that all of a sudden have to play an extra 20, 30 games and have to hire more staff that wasn't originally in their 2019 budget? Mm-hmm. It, it, it's going to be difficult. And I think – if as fans were probably wondering like, well, how long is it going to take before the schedules come out? Because as Joe said, it's right. Teams have to sell tickets. They have to make income because we're already talking on the backs of a full year without income at this point. Um, Because who who knows? I mean, it's a market by market basis. How many teams gave full refunds back for tickets? Who was like, well, you can place your spot for 2021. Everybody has a different case, but I think in terms of paying broadcasters, playing, paying front office staff more, that's a question that we're going to probably see in three years' time because who knows? I mean, this is another spiral that we could go into, probably won't, but who knows how much this whole thing is going to impact every sort of business for the imminent and long-term future. So hey, I, I hope that broadcasters get a little bit more money. I think that's what we all want at the end of the day, but um, we also recognize that, these are businesses that do have to break even at the end of the day. Do you think that any teams will drop coverage or at least maybe move? I know a lot of them have done this already, but continue the trend of moving from being on terrestrial radio or TV to just being on online streaming. Do you see that as something that this could push forward and accelerate or as a non-issue? Maybe. Um, I I don't know this for sure, but I know there is some sort of stipulation about, um, I don't even know what what it's going to end up being called anymore, but MILB.TV, the former, you know, streaming service for minor league baseball games. Not every team had that in the past. It was only required double A and above. Um, I believe I heard I, I I haven't seen it confirmed anywhere that that's going to be required of all minor league teams um, moving forward. I don't know if that's a 2021 thing, a 2022 thing, but if that's going to be the case, then every team is going to you know have a broadcast uh, because either that or you're just going to have a stationary center field camera, which is you, you're going to have to have production staff to there's there's certain requirements. So I think um, from that standpoint. I don't think it'll accelerate the trend of um, maybe teams even dropping broadcasting altogether. Um, I, I don't think that that'll be the case. Um, the rest of it's it's a money equation. Whether the games are solely there and you know streamed on TuneIn, or if you know you have a deal with a local radio station or local TV station to do some stuff, um, you know, from a marketing perspective. I think that that is probably going to stay about the same, but 
hopefully, if anything, this slows down the trend of, you know, some teams that used to be in low A or high A of just dropping the broadcast altogether and saying, you know, we don't need a broadcaster. Uh, hopefully some of the new requirements actually make teams go, well, I, we kind of need one. Um, and, and that can turn into a net positive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you mentioned actually about the bit where minor league teams didn't have broadcast for a while. And that was, I remember even <laughs> this is kind of naive, but when I was first starting out and first trying to get jobs, sending my stuff everywhere to basically every team. And I was actually surprised at the time with the amount of teams that I saw. And it wasn't like a big bunch, but it wasn't a, one or two here and there that even back in 2015, 2016, that didn't have broadcasts at that time. And you thought to yourself, like, where is this going? And I think Joe is right. You're talking about double H, triple A. I remember even reading, might have been at the end of 2019, where someone actually ranked, I think, every stream that was out there in minor league baseball. And yeah, he had a lot of poor ones. Unfortunately, and you could kind of blame that to the stadiums that were already built. You know, newsflash, it takes a lot of money to put together a really good broadcast, and not every stadium has everything already set up uh, to make that work. But with that said, I didn't see too many teams that didn't have at least a center fixed camera either behind home plate or uh, behind the center field wall and someone calling the game. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully the minimum requirements actually go up which in turn could actually mean a few more jobs, maybe not so much broadcasting, but production side, because all those people have been waiting to get paid for the last year plus now as well. As I mentioned before, this is just not part of the sportscasting world that I'm really in touch with. I try to be well-researched and kind of have a little bit of an understanding on it. Is there anything, any issues that are important that I haven't touched on yet that we should talk about? Um, I, I think obviously, and, and anyone who is looking to work in minor league baseball or, or baseball in general, and you know, the minors or summer college ball or anything else, this is a truism when you're starting off is, you know, you need to be well-rounded. Uh, there are very few, there, there are a couple out there. Um, most of them at the AAA level, there are very few jobs where you are just the broadcaster for the team, um, where you your job is to just go and you call the games. Uh, most of us are working in media relations uh, and or selling and or doing social media, uh, content creation, videos, all of that stuff. So the most important thing when you're thinking about trying to get a job is that you have to consider two main things. If you're going for a lead job, the GM, in all likelihood, cares more about the media relations side of things or some of those other aspects because they are more direct-facing to the public, to the fans, uh, you know, and, you know, he wants or she wants things that are written on the website to read well, to be correct and for you to be able to write a press release that looks good and get it out quickly. Um, you know, those are going to be the things to really focus on getting better at um, in addition to honing your craft on the air. Um, you know, that's, that's what's going to set you apart. Um, you know, if you're getting interviewed for the job, 
whoever is interviewing you feels comfortable putting you on air because you got past that part. So now it's time for you to say, all right, here are all of the other things that I can do for you. And I think that's the case in a lot of jobs, especially in this industry, um, but almost to the extreme in minor league baseball, where if you can set yourself apart in these other areas, um, you'll you'll end up getting the job. Maybe not that job, but a job. Um, if you if you do a good job enough of of checking off the boxes of what people are looking for, because again, the on air side is if you're getting the interview, they feel comfortable putting you on the air. So it's then all right. How are you? Di- how are you different than everyone else who I'm comfortable putting on the air? And I guess only to add to that by saying for those that are listening and curious how they want to get the job, but how do I get better at, you know, content creation? How do I get better at writing good press release? This is the time and there's really no better time than right now because we're not really doing much at the moment. Learn and watch what other people are doing. It doesn't take too long to go on to major league website and define game notes or just go and see a press release. How is, how are the golden state warriors, you know, putting out press releases, you know, something like that. Just take the time, learn, and then practice. I mean, you can even go watch the college basketball game right now and then do a game recap on your own. It only takes a couple hours to watch a game, 45 minutes at the most to put together a recap and that's something productive that's bettering yourself. And ultimately, as Joe said, you have to be a Jack of all trades when you work in minor league sports, you can't just be single-minded because if you go to an interview, as Joe said, they already know that you're a good broadcaster. And if you come into that interview and say, well, I don't really know what else I can offer that will help this organization outside of maybe saying I might not be as strong as this, but I'm willing to learn. That's another different conversation that helps better yourself. But if I'm only just focused on broadcasting, fortunately that's just not going to cut it because they don't want to micromanage. They, they want someone that can do a lot of things. What is the most unusual other thing that you've been asked to do in as a minor league baseball broadcaster, other duties as assigned that uh, were unexpected or unusual. I think this should lead to some fun stories. And JJ's uh, pointing got, at his head like he he has a good one. I, I've got a couple actually. One, right. I was going to say you go first because I got a I got a narrow down. Yeah. All right. So one being actually having to play in a fire versus police baseball game. Didn't see that one happening as an intern, but actually that was pretty cool. It was like, all right, I'm playing, yeah, it's an independent league stadium, but I'm getting to play on a professional baseball field. You know, could be worse, could be worse to hang around after calling a game. Um, I think my funniest one was being a mascot of said team and going to like some town summer fair type thing and doing, you know, an hour's worth of mascot meet and greets and stuff like that. And a brash youngster decided to check the sturdiness of the lower half of the mascot suit. And I wasn't wearing a cup. You can kind of take the rest of the story as you go on from there. But I think that's, that's at least my most memorable story. (laughs) Yeah. I I was going to say, yeah, it's, be prepared to dress up as the mascot. Be prepared to pull tarp. Um, which, by the way, if no one, if you, 
if you're listening, you've never pulled tart. It seems like it's fun until the first time you do it. it it's not fun. Um, but it's one of those things everyone pitches in, everyone does it. And, you know, you don't complain. It's, it's just, it's just part of the job. Hey, um, for a workout at 7 a.m., that, that's there for you. Just pull yeah. one tarp and you're good. You hope it's the other tarp team that gets called that morning. Uh, no, but, uh, I would say for me, the most unusual thing I've done is, my first job out of college, I was working for a summer collegiate team in uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, and somehow ended up becoming the assistant general manager uh, of the team and doing the radio broadcasting. And so I would do a lot of sales, normal stuff, appearances, hosting events, stuff like that. Um, and then leading up to the season, we did a ton of operations around the ballpark, so hanging fence signs cleaning, power washing, all this stuff. There was, for some reason, um, out beyond the right field wall, which was a, a, just a chain link fence, there was this uh, this berm of asphalt. It was maybe about the size of a curb, four or five inches high, and about uh, three inches in, in depth. And this kept the right field area from draining when it rained. So we'd get these huge puddles in right field. So I had to get a sledgehammer and break this berm apart with a sledgehammer, um, which is so hard. My hands were bruised for like a week and a half. Like it was just painful to grip anything because I was out there working for a couple of hours, just blasting channels into this, uh, you know, essentially piece of driveway that was, that was raised up and preventing the field from draining. Um, hopefully I never have to do that again. Uh, but that is by far the most unusual, uh, other duty as assigned, uh, that I've ever had to do. What do you think of what, uh, the Savannah bananas are doing with their broadcaster where I, I, I'd not listened to it, but I've read the description where it says as much entertainer and almost like stand up comedian as broadcaster. And I'm just curious if you guys have had a chance to tune into that or if it's something you like or if you see other teams potentially following suit so i have not listened i i, I saw the um description same as you did uh logan i think uh, john chelesnik sent it out um at some point in, in 2020 and, and frankly i i don't know if the person they hired actually went ahead and did that job as it was described if they did, um, I would not be a fan of that uh, for several reasons. One, it's one of those things that sounds like a good idea on paper or maybe when thrown around, especially with almost the carnival atmosphere that is a Savannah Bananas game. Again, I, I cannot speak highly enough of what the staff has done there um, in being creative. Uh, I just don't think that that is particularly... Um, one of their better ideas for a couple reasons. One, it was kind of asking you to approach calling a game in a way that would most definitely alienate your relationship with coaches and players, um, you know, relationships that you need. Um, one, two, thinking, especially at the summer collegiate level, where most of your audience is going to be the parents of the players and friends and teammates of the players 
they're probably not very interested in in hearing that style of a broadcast. Um, so that being said, I'm not a fan, and I don't see other teams moving in that direction um, of wanting that because I think you're going to alienate a lot of baseball fans and friends and family of, of people. They would find it somewhat unlistenable. Um, that said, I didn't listen at all last year. So I don't know if that ended up happening or not. Um, I hope it didn't, but, um, but yeah, I'm not a fan Uh, again, though, great respect for what the bananas have done as an organization. I I don't want it to come off like I'm, you know, saying anything bad against them because I I don't have anything bad to say about uh, what they've done. I think a lot of teams can learn from the things that they've done down there. Yeah, I agree for a lot of things of what Joe's saying. And I also haven't seen uh, how that's happened. Did it, like, I'm trying to think if it actually started to take place maybe a little bit in 2019, like they started to phase a little bit of that into it. Um, but neither here nor there. Unfortunately, you are talking to a couple of, I don't want to say purists for baseball, <laughs> but we do like a, a lot of the traditional things. However, I'm always someone that believes in if you can go out and execute an idea and have it stick, then why, you know, why be afraid of doing something like that? I I don't mind people taking that chance in that area because, as Joe said, it is basically you're not going to watch a minor league baseball game. You're not even probably there to actually watch the game for the most part in general. You're there because you're going to have a blast for two, two and a half, three hours. You're going to bring the kids. It's going to be fun for everybody in some retrospect. So if you're going to keep it within the theme of the job of the organization is to entertain for 30, 40 nights, however many games that they have a season, by all means, go and do it. If this is like the job that's almost actually perfect for someone that's really trying to get up and get into like stand up, right? Or someone that's in kind of like improv groups. Not to say that it's not for broadcasters. I think it kind of, there's parts of it that actually appease to both sides, if really I'm being honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that, and I said that for, uh, for, monetary things a couple of minutes ago, but this is the one that I'm going to be very curious in a couple of years time, the person or people that have that position, where does their career go? And I'm not saying in like any context, I'm just purely saying I'm very interested to see where their career goes. Does this launch them to being on TV for something? I don't know what that something is, but like, does this elevate their career or does it, you know, did you try and take the risk? It didn't work out, and we roll on to the next one. I find it interesting because obviously they're known for having a zany in-game atmosphere, but somebody mm-hmm. listening to a minor league baseball game on the radio, you're either, A, is, has to be a pretty hardcore fan, probably a baseball purist, or maybe they're trying to appeal to just random listeners who just want to be entertained and maybe stick on the station longer. I don't know which one brings more value to the equation. Uh, I think it comes down to what the team wants their identity to be. Um, If you're comfortable with 
having that be the representation of your organization on the radio um, or, you know, on MILB.TV or whatever form that takes in the future. Power to you. Um, you know, I I don't know if there's going to be a lot of teams that are comfortable with that, though. Um, I will say that. Um, but that's not to say that it's impossible uh, to, to find someone who's going to be irreverent almost uh, in a way that we're like, yeah, let's try this out. I, let's go. Let's let's get a little weird uh, and, and a little different with things. Um, but, yeah, it, it's. It'll be interesting to see that equation. I know there are some people who have worked in minor league baseball over the last few years who have a kind of an off the wall style. Um, and following that person's career, you can see, all right, there's, there's progress being made. This person is moving up the ladder some. So clearly there is some kind of, uh, market for a broadcaster who's going to approach things differently. Uh, that said, I, I don't know if it's, if I don't know if we're ready for that different, that quick, or if it's something that eventually, uh, you know, progresses into that. Um, and even so it, it would be a very niche thing where you're going to, you're going to turn off, like JJ said, the, the, the purists of the group. And I say that at the, at the risk of being, you know, old man yells at cloud. Uh, you know, and just kind of uh, being kind of uh, a, the, the stodgiest 28 year old on the planet. But um, yeah, it, it's, I think the right team, it could work, uh, but it's going to take someone willing to take a, a risk at, uh, at alienating some fans. Yeah. I mean, just, uh, the only thing I could add is baseball, as we all know, has a lot of things that they have to work out. I mean, if we're still getting mad at Tatis swinging 3-0, when the game is not over yet, we've got a lot. And then, you know, managers on both sides, for that matter, going against what he did, we've still got a ways to go. But if the organization wants to take that route and that's what their identity wants it to be, then that's what they have to do, you know, I, we've talked about it, Joe and I have talked about it so much where, you know, if you want to build whatever you want to be to what you want it to be, then don't hold anything back. Um, but on the flip side, if you have an organization that is going still, yeah, they're trying things, but they're still staying on the pure side. You just can't go gung-ho Cavalier and all of a sudden become the biggest homer, you know, on the West Coast or on the East Coast. I don't know. Just you can't. You can't just go crazy without thinking that there's going to be some sort of repercussions. But if that's where the organization wants to be or wants to strive to, yeah, it, this I commend what they're doing. I no, I truly do because they're trying to change things. They're trying to change what people think about baseball. And really, it could go a long way into changing what a lot of other minor sports or even maybe some major sports long way down the way what the general perception could be. We'll shift gears a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about your podcast, the views from the booth. And you guys started it during the pandemic. A lot of people started podcasts during the pandemic. Not very many of them were actually good. Um, I, I actually enjoy yours quite a bit. Um, what went into the idea to start a podcast and do it in the way that you did? 
You mean starting one that's not just wishing about what our franchise would make a trade fictitiously three months down the road while our season's not happening? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I came up with the thought of the idea, um, and we said this actually in our opening show, where both Joe and myself did not go to universities that had, you know, prominent broadcasting programs. We're both products of college radio. Um, we had to kind of do things and figure out things mostly for our own. We, obviously, this is not saying that we didn't have mentors along the way or people that we could ask for help. We had those. But as we went through our career and got into the places that we are currently at, we had to figure it out on our own. So I was like, well, you know, looking for a give back, looking for a way to kind of help someone that is currently where we were junior year, sophomore year of college and thinking, all right, so how do I get to a point in working at a decently high level in minor league sports or at university sports or who knows, maybe you want to go overseas or try to get on television somewhere along those lines. So I pitched the idea to Joe back in late May, early June. Yeah, somewhere along those lines. And it was like, hey, I, I love to – you know, build this sort of encyclopedia into the world of sports broadcasting. And we're, we weren't talking about how to call a game. Joe mentioned in an early show, there are plenty of seminars and YouTube videos with top broadcasters, Logan, probably people that you have interviewed so much higher on the pecking order than us, but you know, how to call a game. We kind of go into the lifestyle stuff, how, you know, how to network, how to look the part. Um, how to handle finances. We talk about money a lot. How can you sustain while doing this? A lot of those things went into this. And yeah, we pumped out 25 shows, I think, in our first season, had a handful of really fun guests along the way, both broadcasters that are active, some that were broadcasters and now doing other things, still in the sports business. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping the big takeaway of this is that someone out there that isn't fully into sports broadcasting yet listened and learned some things and now got to go apply that and start in their own career. Yeah. And I mean, like JJ said, he, he, it's his brainchild. He approached me about it and I was a hundred percent on board with wanting to do this uh, for the same reasons that JJ wanted to start something uh, along the lines of views from the booth. And, you know, like you said, th there's a bunch of different podcasts, including my favorite, Say the Damn Score, uh, that talk a lot about broadcasting, interview high-profile broadcasters, get tips uh, and tricks from them, and really kind of dive inside what they do. Um, you know, this is also around the time where, uh, you know, there's there were all those uh, Zoom seminars going on that certain individual broadcasters were running that uh, SCAA was running where, yeah, you could get FaceTime with some very high profile people. And like, here's Kevin Harlan sitting in front of a webcam and being like, here's how I organize my charts for football. If you can't have access to that, you don't need to know what I do to get ready for a football game. Go, go watch what Kevin Harlan does. Like that's what I'm watching to figure out what I need to do. So don't listen to me for that, but um, just some of the other things about how to network, um, what is the proper, um, I guess, protocol of how you go about requesting information from SID, 
approaching the business side of things, trying to find different opportunities, all these things that are maybe less readily available uh, and information I wish I had before several years down the road in the career. Um, and frankly, doing it and, and getting to talk to uh, you know some of the broadcasters we brought on helped me learn and, and reinforce things, even though I'm the one allegedly teaching however much that actually happened, but like, uh, you know, it, it was good, uh, a good, I don't want to say refresher course, but, uh, JJ brought up things that I had never thought of. Our guests had brought up things that I had never thought of. Uh, and I think that, you know, now that for me, college sports are back and, uh, doing college basketball now, I, I think have made me a better broadcaster, uh, you know, now that it's time to put the headset back on. Yeah, and at the end of the day as well, it gave us something to do for yeah. uh, almost a half year. You know, think about it, we record every Monday, uh, edit on a Tuesday, post on a Wednesday. Boom, we've taken care of nearly half of the week <laughs> while we had no games to call. So it, it was a whole lot of fun, and, I, you know, I enjoyed it, and I definitely think that there's a lot that we still haven't touched on that we can definitely open up in future seasons. You know, I, I like the way you phrased it, that it is – I mean, I've been in this for, I mean, well over a decade. There's a lot of good, I don't necessarily learn a lot of new things from it, but there's a good refresher course and maybe attacking certain things from a different angle. I thought you guys did a really nice job. So I um, wanted to give you guys a little plug. And Joe, you, I, I haven't listened to it yet, but you are putting out another podcast and I'll give you a chance to plug that one. Yeah, no. Uh, so secondary lead is my other one. It's a, uh, documentary baseball history podcast just wrapped up the first season at the end of uh, December uh, 10 part documentary on the life and career of Ken Caminiti. Um, as I like to joke, we're in the golden age of the 10 part sports documentary. Uh, you know, you had the last dance, you've got, you know, this one uh, it's, I can promise you season two is not going to be as heavy. Uh, hopefully that comes out sometime in the spring and, in the research and interviewing phase for that right now. But um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of, uh, it's a dark subject matter. So saying fun to put together uh, is probably not the right word, but um, it was rewarding to put together. And uh, I've been very uh, humbled by the response that I've gotten from many people from it. And, uh, and yeah, I hope that if anyone uh, listening to this hasn't listened already, um, I hope that you give it a listen and uh, and enjoy it because that was that was kind of my other uh, pandemic project in in addition to views from the booth, which is uh, part of the reason why JJ did most of the heavy lifting for for views from the booth. Have you ever met anyone from the office working for Scranton Wilkesbury? Yes. Um, so the actor who played Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> um, Came to a Rail Riders game my first year in 2018. Um, we're now Facebook friends. I don't know why I have to throw that in there. Um, That's the best name yeah, drop we've ever had on this show. Bob Vance. Yeah, and we, we, were, uh, we were supposed to have uh, Brian Baumgartner, uh, Kevin Malone, come to a game this year. But uh, unfortunately, because of uh, COVID, that, that didn't end up happening. I don't know if there's plans to bring out more cast members in the next few years, uh, I, I sure hope so because I have this um, this shirt from a, a company that makes these wacky, you know, button down shirts that is 
Kevin Malone spilling the pot of chili. And it's like, just like a big, loud patterned cartoon thing. That, that's really awesome. Um, and it is a goal that if we get him in 2021 or 2022, uh, and I'm still there that I can get a picture with him, with me wearing the shirt that's got him all over it. All right. If anybody wanted to reach out to either one of you, how would they do so? Um, yeah, I mean, first I'm on Twitter at JJDuke21, um, Instagram JJ.Duke21. Uh, and also, if you want to get in touch with our show handle as well, you can do so by reaching out to us at the VFTB underscore pod. Don't know why I had to make it that complicated, but I'm pretty sure any sort of combinations from views from the booth podcast were taken away. So at the VFTB underscore pod for that front. Yeah. And uh, me personally on Twitter, uh, Joe Vasile PBP uh, for play by play Instagram, uh, just Joe Vasile um, Joe at Joe Vasile on Twitter tweeted once in 2011. And I haven't been able to get that handle. I check it every now and again to see if it's deleted, but it's still there. Um, so maybe someday I'll be able to get that. But uh, my DMs are open in either place. So, uh, you know, if anyone wants to ever get in touch, uh, easy to easy to do that. Also, my website, jovaseal.com, has, uh, has a, a contact form there if for some reason you can't find me on social. Yeah, and that same for me as well, jjduke.com. At least that's kept simple. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Once again, we are visiting with the hosts of the Views from the Booth podcast, as well as freelance broadcasters, uh, one current, one former minor league broadcaster. Uh, their their titles are too long to really say, so we're just going to say, uh, J.J. Duke and Joe Vasile, thank you for coming on the Say the Damn Score podcast. Uh, thanks thanks for, having for having us on, Logan. Thanks for listening to the Say the Damn Score podcast. Remember to subscribe to the show on the platform of your choice by clicking the big red subscribe button at the top of com. Also. Please tell a friend about this podcast. Again, I think there's a lot of value in this podcast for sportscasters of all levels, and I'd like to see uh, the numbers start to grow on this, and it could be mutually beneficial uh, for both me and for broadcasters around the country if you would just share this with one friend before our next episode. Also remember... Apple podcast reviews, emails, or any other kind of honest feedback is always greatly appreciated and helps me make the show better. And if you have time, please reach out to the guests of this show so they know you appreciate them sharing their stories on the podcast. As always, I'm Logan Anderson, and the next time you're on the air, make sure to say the damn score just a little bit more.